The text for the sermon this morning comes from Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. Luke 8, 22 through 25. This passage we read of a storm arising on the lake of Galilee. And these kind of storms were not necessarily uncommon due to the geography. There's several mountains around the lake of Galilee. Uh, storms could very quickly arise and they would be very brutal and intense. This was a storm unlike anything any of the disciples had ever witnessed before. Let's read God's holy inspired word as we find it in Luke 8. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, If we are true Christians... We must not expect everything smooth in our journey to heaven. We must count it no strange thing if we have to endure sicknesses, losses, bereavements, and disappointments, just like other men. Free pardon and full forgiveness, grace along the way, and glory at the end, all this our Savior has promised to give. But he has never promised that we shall have no affliction. He loves us too well. To promise that. Ryle's words accurately reflect what the scriptures teach. The scriptures tell us again and again that we should expect trials and tribulations. If you read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll come into contact with the history of the people of God again and again experiencing affliction. Even this morning with uh, Bill's Sunday school, we read of Joseph being sold into slavery. Child of God being sold into slavery. We should expect trials and tribulation, but this can be a very challenging word for us to hear. We love comfort and ease. When distress comes, we try to quickly forget about it so that life can go back to normal. And when we see other people in trouble, often our immediate instinct is to think, well, how can I avoid that particular difficulty? We think, well, I'm smart enough and savvy enough 
to avoid a situation like that. I'm healthy enough to avoid sicknesses and diseases. I have the financial stability to keep myself out of that particular situation. No, I've, I've got everything all figured out. And if I hear of something that's happening to another person, well, you know, I'm smart enough that that won't happen to me. In many ways, this is a sort of self-deception. The self-deluded attempt to retain some sort of artificial sovereignty over the events and circumstances of life. We can almost act like mini-gods at times in our attempts to rationalize how we will avoid the discomforts and trials of this life. Luke 8, verses 22 through 25, is a reminder to us that Christians will experience trials in this life. There will be storms that need to be braved as we walk the pilgrimage to heaven. And these storms are for all Christians. They are for everyone. Even the disciples who walked with Jesus every single day, who sat at the feet of Jesus, learning day in and day out the truths of the kingdom of God. These disciples needed to go through this storm to have their faith strengthened. To have their faith challenged and tried. Storms of this life aren't just for what some might call weak Christians. No, this is for all Christians. Every true Christian will experience sorrows and griefs in this life. And our text teaches us much about the purpose of trials. In that quote that I cited from Ryle, Ryle commented that God loves us too much to remove trials from us. He remarked that because our God uses trials to increase and encourage our faith as we look to the Lord to be our refuge and our strength in the midst of trials. Christ, as the disciples were going through this storm, asked them, where is your faith? He asked them, where is your faith? And similarly, we need to ask ourselves, where is our faith? Before, during, and after the trials that we go through. The lesson of this history from Luke 8 is that... We must have personal faith in Christ amid the storms of this life. If you are to get through the storms of this life, you must have personal faith in Christ. And so consider with me this morning, Luke 8, verses 22 through 25, under the theme, Faith in Jesus amid the storms of life. Faith in Jesus amid the storms of life. Let's first consider this fierce windstorm. One day, Jesus commanded the disciples to sail off to the east side of the Lake of Galilee. And here you need to realize that most of the disciples, they're expert fishermen. Peter, James, John, 
Andrew. These are all men who have likely spent the majority of their life on the Lake of Galilee. They've experienced storms before. They've experienced all sorts of different weather. They know what they're doing. They know the Lake of Galilee like the back of their hand. They know all the best places to fish. They know the safe routes to get to the other side of the lake. And so these fishermen, these disciples, they set sail to the east side of the Lake of Galilee with confidence. Thinking, well, no, this is not going to be that much different than any of our other trips. They're confident in their abilities as fishermen and sailors. Then quite unexpectedly, a fierce windstorm arose. And a fierce windstorm that was far different than any of the other storms they had ever experienced. A hurricane of wind caused the waves to rise up with great intensity. Children, have you ever, well, have your parents ever driven you by Lake Hefner on a really windy day? Or maybe by another lake on a, on a very windy day. And you see the wind coming across that water. And you see just a lot of white water and a lot of waves. Maybe you thought, well, it would be quite interesting to be on the lake on a day like that. Maybe even a little bit uh, scary to be on a lake on a day like that. But what we have described here in Luke... These waves would have been a lot bigger and a lot more intense. It would have been even worse. As Jesus and his disciples are traveling to the other side of the lake, waves are smashing and crashing against the boat. It's like there's, it's a mere toy in a bathtub and, and you're playing with that, that boat and, and caught, trying to make it sink. The water level in the boat is rising and, and the boat's in danger of capsizing. And these expert fishermen, they're, they're, they have no idea what to do. And they see Jesus sleeping there in the midst of this great storm and they cry out to him, Master, Master, save us. We are perishing. Why are you sleeping? We're, we're in danger of our lives here. Wake up. Save us. We are about to die. This desperate fear of death, this panic in the disciples, illustrates a lack of faith in Jesus Christ. It illustrates that the faith of disciples, well, it illustrates it was movable. It illustrates that they were not secure in their trust of Christ. The account in Matthew's gospel of this history tells us that Christ confronted the disciples about their faithlessness, even as the storm was still raging. Christ asked the disciples, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? As we read this, we can think that the disciples had every reason to be afraid. That their fear was justifiable. Here Jesus was sleeping and, and their boat was sinking. They were in danger of imminent death, but yet 
Jesus still rebuked them for their lack of faith. He rebuked them because they should have had faith. These men were Israelites. They were Hebrews. They knew the history of how God had parted the Red Sea as Israel fled from the Egyptians. God has saved his people in powerful ways before. And now they had the very Son of God in their midst. They had the very Son of God in the boat with them. These men had also grown up singing the Psalms. They had grown up singing Psalm 77. They had grown up singing Psalm 107, which we'll sing later on. And these men have been traveling with Jesus for some time now. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal men and women of sickness. They knew he had the power to forgive sins. If you look back in the previous chapters in Luke, you'll come across the first three uses of the word faith. The disciples had witnessed the faith of this paralyzed man as he's lowered through the hole in the floor. And Christ heals him. They had seen this paralyzed man walk and have his sins forgiven. The disciples were there when a Roman centurion had come to Christ and said, my servant is in danger of death. Will you heal him? And, and wait, you don't have to actually go and see him. I believe that you are able to just say the word to heal him. They had seen how Christ had forgiven the sins of the prostitute who had come to him. These disciples had seen such great miracles. Surely, in the midst of this storm, they of all people would have faith. When the rubber hits the road, when a trial comes up in their own personal life, the disciples are very much like us. They don't have faith. They lack faith. When they are faced with the reality of their own deaths, they are faithless and afraid. This trial, the faith of the paralyzed man, the faith of the Roman satyrian, the faith of the prostitute could not help them. For them, it didn't matter that the centurion had faith. It didn't matter that the prostitute had faith. It didn't matter that the paralyzed man had faith. It mattered if they had faith. It only mattered if they had personal faith during the storm. And it matters if you have faith. When you see the great faith of others in the storms of this life, there's no grounds to think that you yourself will have faith. The faith of others can certainly be an encouragement for us. And we can learn much from the stories of others. But we must be sure that we ourselves... We ourselves have faith in God. I say this because we can often so easily coast and float along the faith of others, on the prayers of others, on the Bible study of others, on the devotions of others. 
then when we go through trials ourselves, we realize, wait, where is my faith? Know that the faith of your pastor, your elders, your family members, your fellow church members will not help you when you are faced with the reality of your own death, when you have loved ones die due to cancer, when your marriage starts to fall apart, will not ultimately help you. It will not help you when you die and stand before the sovereign Lord and creator of the universe and are asked to give an account for all your actions. No, you, you must have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that question of Christ? Where is your faith? The centurion had faith. The prostitute had faith. But where is your faith? If you feel weak in your faith this morning, be encouraged. Because God teaches us with the trials of this life to have faith in Him. The trials of this life produce greater faith and trust and reliance on the Lord. Paul in, in Romans 5 verse 3 says that we glory in tribulation. And James in James 1 verse 2 says something similar. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, joy in trials, glorying in tribulation, all seems almost ludicrous. You know, how can I joy in this deep and lasting pain? How can I possibly get through this? What is God's word getting at? What is Paul saying? What is James saying? Do they really understand what it is I'm going through? How is it possible to rejoice in these trials of life? Well, first, we need to understand that God's Word is certainly not lessening the seriousness of your trial or even the pains of your trial by telling you that you can glory in them and that you should rejoice in them. That would certainly be the case if Paul said, well, just get over yourself. Know that God is sovereign and move on with your life. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't say that. Instead, he says that this tribulation you are experiencing is a very real tribulation. He doesn't shy away from calling it what it is. It is a tribulation. It is a fiery trial. It is painful. It hurts. It gives you sleepless nights. It causes tears to roll down your face amid this very real tribulation. Paul says that you can rejoice, you can glory. And you can rejoice because this tribulation is not random, it is not meaningless, it is not vanity of vanities. When we go through difficulties, we can ask that question repeatedly. Why is this happening to me? What is the reason for this affliction? We desperately want to, to find out the, the meaning to this trial. We want to know, why is this happening to me? 
But often we never come up with a very direct answer to that question. But both Paul and James give us an answer. Paul tells us to rejoice in tribulation because tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And James says something similar when he tells us that we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. In other words, God sends us trials to grow our faith. He sends these difficulties to grow and increase our reliance upon him. For those who have gone through affliction, is this not true? As you've gone through affliction in your life, is this not true? Weren't you often pointed back to the Lord? You're reminded of of the goodness and the graciousness of God. You're reminded of of your profound need for God. You're reminded of your profound need to seek the Lord daily in prayer, to receive comfort from His Word. You're reminded of the importance of going to church and worshiping with the people of God, being fed and refreshed by the Word. Let's notice, too, what Jesus' response to the disciples' desperate cries is, because it is a striking response. Jesus had a kingly response to their desperate cries. He awoke, and, and with regal authority, he rebuked the wind. And immediately, the raging waves ceased, and immediately... The wind ceased. There is instantaneous calmness and stillness on the water. Jesus simply spoke. And the raging of this storm completely stopped. I just sit with you. Consider what that means. Jesus simply spoke. The words came out of his mouth. And the creation obeyed his voice. As the disciples saw this, surely their minds must have gone back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, we we read of how God created the world with speaking, with calling things into existence. Here, Peter and James and John and the disciples, they're with Christ. And he's speaking and he's commanding the creation to be still. And their minds must be going to, wait, the the creator of this world is, is in this boat with us. The creator of everything is in this boat with us. This man of Galilee, the man from Nazareth, this man from a city of of nothing, he's in this boat with us. What an amazing declaration for the disciples of God's sovereignty over all the things of this world. 
And what foolishness it is to trust in our own wisdom and knowledge in the midst of the storms of this life. What foolishness it is to have faith in ourselves when we are going through trials, when we have a sovereign king in the heavens who rules over all. The world, when you're going through trials, tells you tells you to dig deep, to, to believe in yourself. You, know, you can get through this with, with sheer willpower. You know, you just have that need to have that strength of character. Or else it tells you, you know, get a community around you who, who will be supportive of you. If we all band together in unity, then we can get through whatever it is that, that we might be confronted with. What does Christ tell us here? Christ tells us to to have trust in him, to have faith in him who is a sovereign Lord of creation. Because what do we do when it feels like we have no control? We have no control. Things are so crazy, I don't feel like I have any control over my life. What do you do in a situation like that? What do you do when you feel no strength and only sorrow and weakness? When your life is so chaotic that nothing is stable? What do you do when you feel all alone? In those times, you need to trust in Jesus. Trust in your King, Jesus. Remember Psalm 5, where the psalmist confesses that the Lord is my King and my God. That needs to be your confession in trials. And don't do this simply when you feel weakness. Do this all the time. Learn dependence upon God by going to Him daily in prayer. This is one of the real blessings of praying before meals. These prayers before our meals aren't just mere superstition. No, these, these prayers we have before meals, they teach us trust and dependence upon God. It's a, that, that uh, reminder to us each and every day that the food we have is from the hand of God. And that we are dependent upon God to bless that food to our bodies. And so trust in your King Jesus in times of difficulties. Seek Him diligently in prayer. Renew your devotional life. Don't run from it. Ask people to pray with you. Spend greater time in the Word of God. Get up early and just spend time reading the Word and in prayer. Pray that God would would use whatever affliction it is that He's putting you through. That God would use that affliction to strengthen your relationship with Him. To cause you to to see that, that glorious reality that He is your King. Spend time in the book of creation as well. It can be a great comfort for us to you know, just simply go for a walk in creation. 
It's maybe just when the thunderstorm's rolling through. Stop everything and just sit by your window, even though provided it's safe enough, and just watch the, the thunderstorm roll through and to be reminded as you hear the crack of thunder. Reminded of the voice of God as He's sovereign over the storm. You see the trees blowing to consider the breath of God as He blows those trees. As you look upon the ants on the ground, to consider that God even sovereignly directs these smallest of creatures. As you look at the stars on a clear and beautiful night, you're reminded that God even has all these stars numbered. And he calls each one by name. Learn from the book of creation that we have a sovereign and a mighty God. Let's also notice the pastoral response of Jesus. We see the kingly response of Jesus, but we also see the pastoral response of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the creation. He orchestrates every single event that happens in this world. And so he orchestrates this storm as well. There are numerous commentators who argue that it wasn't Jesus who orchestrated this storm. They, they argue that this was Satan. This was Satan is seeking to, to uh, uh, inhibit Christ from going to the land of the Gadarenes and, and casting the demon out of this man. Satan would have known that uh, uh, Christ would have come in contact with this demoniac. And Satan did not want Jesus to cast the demons have listened to him. Now, Satan certainly did not want that. But if we view Satan as orchestrating the storm, we miss out on a key lesson from this passage. We miss out not only on Christ's sovereignty over all creation, but also on his pastoral reason for wanting the storm to happen in the first place. Christ orchestrated this storm for the purpose of teaching the disciples to have faith in him. Christ used this storm to increase the disciples' faith. Lord willing, next week we're going to be looking at Christ casting out the demons out of this man. And the disciples are going to be confronted with great evil. An evil that they probably haven't yet witnessed as they see this demoniac. And they need to know that Christ is sovereign over the creation. They need to know that. And they also need to know that Christ is sovereign over the spiritual world as well. The disciples need to have a faith of their own. They need to not be relying upon the faith of others, the interest of others. That was one of Judas's problems. He relied upon the faith of the other disciples. He did not have a faith in Christ that was his own. The disciples need to have a faith of their own. So Christ used this storm as a teaching opportunity for the disciples to show in a very personal and practical way who he was. In this we see the pastoral love of Christ for his disciples. He uses the events of our lives, even the most difficult hardships, 
to teach us not to have faith in ourselves, in our wisdom, in our knowledge, in our abilities, but to have faith in Him. Christ uses the hardships and difficulties of this life to draw us closer to Himself. Christ wanted to teach His disciples not to trust in their own abilities as fishermen, but to trust in Him as the ruler of the waves, as the God of the deeps. Therefore, Jesus gets to their hearts by asking them that trying and heart-discerning question, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Who is your faith in? What is your faith in? Especially important in this narrative is the fact that Jesus brought his disciples into this terrifying situation to teach them something about himself. To teach them that he to teach them that he is a sovereign God. The pastoral love of God towards us during trials should be hammered home. We realize that Jesus was very man. Jesus was a man just like us. We know from our text that Jesus needed to sleep. Here he was exhausted after a day of ministering to the, to the Israelites, of healing and, and preaching. Jesus must have been truly exhausted, especially to have slept through a storm like this. Jesus was really and truly man. Jesus knows the pain and the hurts of the trials that we go through. He knows what it is like to lose a loved one. He wept when Lazarus died. Jesus knows the pain of bodily torments where he is beaten and crucified. Jesus knows the pain of loved ones departing from the faith. For he wept over Jerusalem, crying out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And it is with the understanding of the pain of trials that Jesus sends us trials knowing that they are for our good. Father who has been disciplined before by his own father will discipline his own children with grace and understanding. But he will also know the necessity of that discipline. But he'll do it with love and with pastoral gentleness, even as we see Christ asking the disciples with pastoral gentleness, where is your faith? And our response to God's pastoral sovereignty and trial should be that of the disciples in verse 25. Verse 25, we see the disciples had it in a new fear. Disciples say, who can this be? For he commands you to the winds and the water, and they obey him. Indeed, what sort of a person is it that commands the storms of this life for his sovereign purposes? 
What sort of a God do we serve? What sort of a God is it that causes the fierce and terrible thunderstorms that roll across Oklahoma? What sort of a God is it that sends sicknesses and diseases and even death? What sort of a God is it that sends trials and tribulations? Is a great and an awesome God, a God we should fear, and not with and not fear with the sort of fear with which we might be tempted to, to fear the trials and tribulations of this life. Those who are unrepentant and do not believe in God should certainly have this type of fear. They should be afraid of God. They are not in relationship with Him. They are apart from Him. They are rebels rebelling against Him. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, we should fear him with an awe and a reverence, asking with the disciples, what sort of person is this? With a a sense of, of joy and rejoicing, what sort of a God is this? That he loves us this much? should fear him with an awe and a reverence, knowing that he loves his people, even as a father loves his children. We should have faith in our loving and compassionate King who sends trials to grow our faith and reliance upon him. We should have confidence too. He is truly able to work all things for our good. He is the all-powerful God who can certainly orchestrate all the circumstances of this life for the good and prosperity of his people. Unless we fear, he is certainly able to guide us through sickness and death. He it is that removed the sting of death and destroy the victory of the grave. Lest we fear the sin of others, the abuse of others, the oppression of others, he it is that changes sinners' hearts and causes that heart to abound in love towards God and his neighbor. He can remove the oppression and guilt of the burdened conscience. By saying your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He it is that can turn your weeping into joy. Because he bore all your griefs and carried all your sorrows. We can trust in this God. Because he has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. To be a helper for us. To be a comforter for us in the time of difficulty. We need not fear the trials and tribulations of this life because He is a sovereign God. He is a pastoral and a loving God who is gracious and merciful to His people. And so, in the storms of life, let us have personal faith in this Christ Let's have a personal faith in this king, not relying upon the faith of others, not relying upon the godliness of others, but let us believe that this king will indeed guide us through the storms 
of this life to arrive safely at our heavenly home. Let's pray. Father and our God, we come before you and Lord, we acknowledge how often we are fearful of the trials and tribulations of this life. We acknowledge how often we lack faith in the midst of those trials. So, Lord, we pray that you would grant us the eyes of faith, the eyes to see how you are sovereign over everything that happens to us, that you are sovereignly directing all the events of this world for our good, that you are doing so with the love of a father, for you indeed are our heavenly father, Lord, grant us the eyes of faith to see this, that we might ever believe and trust in you, that we might ever know that you are a refuge for us in the storms of this life. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.